0: Good evening, Purple family. Welcome to another episode of Shades of Purple, a Prince podcast. Tonight, I will be discussing and analyzing Prince's five number one singles, as well as reviewing Prince's second album, the self-titled Prince. So to start off, the reason why I chose to review Prince's second album and include his five number one hit singles is because after the For You album, the sales proves to be lackluster to say the least. It only sold about 200,000 copies. So Prince was disappointed in that, especially given all the studio time and money he put into the album. Like I said in an earlier episode, he spent about 90% of his $180,000 advance on creating for you. So he spent some $170,000 on it. He would later say that he never went back to listen to his first album much because it was too perfect. He said that it was flawless. Critics also said that it sounded overproduced, and given that Prince was such a new producer at the time, that's that's definitely possible. So going into his second album, Prince really wanted to make hits to prove both to himself and to Warner Brothers that he could make hit records. So my thinking was, how about not only do I review Prince's second album, but I could also discuss Prince's five number one songs that reached the top spot of the Billboard charts. So let's get right into it. Now, a lot of people don't know that Prince's most well-known song and probably the song that is considered to be his signature song Purple Rain only peaked at number two at the time of its release in September 1984. Let me say this about the song Purple Rain before I get into discussing the singles and the Prince album. I know a lot of Purple family really don't care for the song Purple Rain because they see it as being too commercial and It's the song that Prince will forever be known for outside of the Purple community. And that seems to bother a lot of Purple family members. And while I understand why, because obviously Prince was much more than Purple Rain, the song, the album, and the movie, but ultimately that is what people remember him for. And does that bother me personally? Yes and no. Yes, because at some point it always irritates me when people find out that I'm a Prince fan, and the first thing they want to do is bring up Purple Rain. And I'm thinking, yeah, Purple Rain was great, but Prince had better, greater hits than Purple Rain, and we all know that. I also know that it irritated me. If it irritated me, it had to have bothered Prince at some point. But I think toward the end of his life, and maybe even before then, he was able to reconcile the fact that outside of his fan base, he would always be the Purple Rain guy. And I say no because Purple Rain is a beautiful, wonderful song. I just recently got to the point, like, I would say like in the last six months or so, where I can listen to the song without crying. I also say no because Prince also knew how powerful the song was because he would perform it at nearly every concert he ever did after its release. And it was the last song he played at his last concert, the Piano on the Microphone Tour. So Prince knew how influential the song was and... And I I think he was able to make his peace with that at some point. But anyway, I I don't want to get off on a tangent on that. I'll talk more about Purple Rain, the album, the movie, and the song uh, starting off in the beginning of season two. So stay tuned for that. So, but getting back on topic. So Prince's first song to reach number one on the Billboard Pop Charts was the first single off of Prince's sixth studio album. Purple Rain, you know, the one we just got through talking about, called When Doves Cry. Now, I know a lot of older Prince fans can remember when where they were when they first heard this song, but me, I was approximately six months old when this song came out. So I have no memory of when it was first released. And I can't really recall when I first heard it. I think most likely I saw the music video on either MTV or BET sometime in the 90s probably, Back, you know, back when BET and uh, MTV was actually showing music videos. So I have to admit though, the song, it had to grow on me at first, but now I can listen to that famous opening guitar riff over and over and over again. Matter of fact, when I get in the mood to listen to When Doves Cry, I just can go back and forth just listening to that guitar riff over and over. I love it. So the song was actually the last song added to the Purple Rain album. The director of Purple Rain, Albert Magnoli, wanted one more song for the movie to go with a transitional scene that dealt with the combination of parental problems and a love affair. So the very next day, Prince presented Magnoli with two songs, one being When Dubs Cry. The inspiration for the song was allegedly based on Prince's relationship with Vanity 6, Apollonia 6 member Susan Muzi, who Prince had been dating off and on both before and during this time period according to author Pierre Nelson in his book Dance Music Sex Romance Prince the first decade that is a wonderful book of resources about Prince and I it's also another book that I plan on doing a uh, a book for, book review at some point Uh, I don't know if it'll be in season two, maybe season three, possibly. I want to do a whole bunch of book reviews because I've read over the course of two years. I have read so many books about Prince. It's ridiculous. So I would like to get to reviewing those uh, books at some point. Uh, But going on. So the basic tracking took place and I'm getting this information from the prince The basic tracking took place on the first of March, 1984 at Sunset Sound in Hollywood, California. Some days after a song called Traffic Jam and two days after Love and Sex. Okay, so Love and Sex. Was that on Crystal Ball, I think? Okay, anyway. Um, Or was it a B-side on Purple Rain? I can't remember. As the final track recorded for Purple Rain, which I already said. Of note is that both these tracks' ascending, sixth string ending and the extended part as it was played on the Purple Rain Tour are both quite reminiscent of Traffic Jam. So I think Traffic Jam is an unreleased tune. I haven't heard that one, but it was recorded the same day as When Dubs Cry. So at some point, I'll have to try to look it up on YouTube or something. It was included as the fifth song on the 25th of March, 1984 configuration of the album before Take Me With You was added. For the final configuration compiled on the 14th of April, 1984. So the other track offered for consideration to Magnoli was the song God, the instrumental, which would go on to be the B-side for the song Purple Rain. One of the most unique features of the song When Doves Cry is that it does not have a bass line. Now, it originally recorded one, but Prince decided to take it out. Well, not exactly. He didn't exactly take it out. He just uh, muted it in the final mix. So his reasoning for that, he explained in a 1999 interview with Bass Player magazine. He said he made the last minute change because the track was just sounding too conventional, like every other song with drums and bass and keyboards. So while listening to a rough mix with singer Jill Jones and probably his on and off girlfriend of his as well, backup singer, but on and off girlfriend, Jill Jones, He floated his daring idea. I said, if I could have it my way, it would sound like this. And I pulled the bass out of the mix. She said, why don't you have it your way? Why not indeed? And so according to Rolling Stone, once again, Prince made the decision. He promised Rogers it would have a big impact, which is uh, Susan Rogers, his engineer. Nobody would have the balls to do this. You just wait. They'll be freaking. That's what he told Susan Rogers, his engineer. And uh, freak they did. (laughs) Mary Lou Baldo, I think that's how, Baddo, I think that's how you say her name. It's a French name, I think. Um, Warner Brothers Music, she was a Warner Brothers Music executive at the time. And everyone thought, okay, what the F are we going to do with this? So so the executives, you know, really didn't care for uh, Windows Cry because of the uh, baseline being missing. They were just like, radio won't take this. But to his credit, Prince really stood up for the track and he got his manager at the time, a man named Steve Fagnoli to back him up to the record exec. So eventually they gave in and accepted the song minus the baseline. And just as Prince predicted, it was a massive hit, hitting the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 on July 7th, 1984. Critical response to the song was very positive, just as it was for the whole album. The B-side to When Doves Cry is 17 Days, and that is probably my personal favorite B-side hit. Uh, I personally love this track because I, I like the tracks where the bass guitar is really strong and in the 17 Days you can do 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 do, do, do. I mean you can really just hear that that bass just really is just great. And uh, the keyboard chords, you know, I like that too, and the melody and the lyrics, I mean, it's just a great song. Um, in my opinion, Princess B sides are better than some artists' like regular songs, A sides, or whatever you want to say. And I just, I mean, I just love the let the rain come down, the rain come down, let the rain come down, down. Like that is my jam. Like I can play seven that Seventeen Days is another song of Princess that I always play all the time. That's a constant. Uh, I've got. I can't tell you how many Prince playlists I have on my phone and on the computer but 17 days is always going to be on there somewhere and actually I should credit my husband Gabriel for actually introducing the song to me and uh, because he really liked the song and I was like after you know at first I was just like huh yeah it's okay but after a while I just really really got into it so thank you honey for introducing 17 days to me okay so moving on Prince's second number one hit uh, was Let's Go Crazy, which is off the same album as When Dubs Cry Purple Rain. So Let's Go Crazy was released on July 18, 1984, and it hit number one on the Billboard charts on September 28th of 1984. So I'm taking the rest of the information from the Prince vault. The basic idea for the song slash riff that according to Prince photographer and friend Alan Bellew, was something he came up with while jamming with uh, Prince in the fall of 1982 and was committed to tape in a session on the 18th of May, 1983 at the Kawa Tr- Trail Home Studio in Chanhassen, Minnesota. So this Prince photographer and his name sounds familiar. He did a book called Before the Rain. He was Prince's photographer uh, during like the Dirty Mind, 1999 uh, controversy during that period um, and so he's claiming that he helped set the, the basic tracking and the, the basic idea for the song, Let's Go Crazy. Um, so before, and they and, and they put it together to tape. They started taping it at Prince's house at the Kiowa Trail Home Studio that he had. And this was before, of course, uh, Paisley Park was built because this was in 1983. Uh, before a proper studio recording was made, Prince and the Revolution recorded the song live on the 3rd of August, 1983 at First Avenue in Minneapolis, Minnesota. At that same concert is where I Will Die For You, Baby I'm a Star, and Purple Rain were also recorded for the first time. So the 3rd of August, 1983 is a very pivotal um, day for uh, Prince and the Revolution. They recorded those classic, classic songs for the Purple Rain album, all uh, for a benefit concert. I think it was for the Minneapolis Dance uh, Company, I believe. And they recorded all those songs, like half of the songs for the Purple Rain album at that event. So basic tracking of the version released on Purple Rain took place on the 7th of August, 1983. So just a few days after the benefit concert. Um, four days after it's live recording. Yeah, I just said that (laughs) at first Avenue and a day before computer blue at the warehouse in St. Louis park, Minnesota. So also the revolution and Prince were also rehearsing at this warehouse space in St. Louis park, Minnesota. And if you've seen the videos for like manic Monday and, um, uh, what is that other song? My mind just went blank. Uh, nothing compares to you. Those two, um, music videos that the estate put out uh that i believe is the warehouse that um the prince is referring to so so they re-recorded it again at the warehouse on the 7th of august 1983 this version would be edited down on for the album the full version was released on the 12 inch version of the single So, Let's Go Crazy is another rather unique song in Prince's catalog, and that it opens up with a spoken part, and we all know, you know, the spoken part. So, yes, I'm going to say the whole thing. Okay, here I go. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, and it means forever, and that's a mighty long time, but I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworlds. A world of never-ending happiness you can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything, be all right. Instead of asking how much of your time is left, ask them how much of your time, baby. Because in this life, things are much harder than they are in the afterworlds. In this life, you're on your own. If the elevator tries to break you down. Go crazy. Put your hands up. Da, 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 da. Da, da, da. Okay, y'all knew I was gonna do that. Okay. <laughs> and so while Prince is, you know, doing this opening, of course, you hear this wonderful organ playing in the background. So it's almost like Prince is taking you to church. And Prince has always had religious themes in his music from very early on. At the end of the song controversy, on the controversy album he quotes you know my not quotes he says the lord's prayer and so for prince though spirituality and sexuality were intermingled with one another that's why on albums like purple rain you had a song like i will die for you where he's talking about jesus and then you have a song like darling nikki where he's talking about a song full of you know lustful sex so but let's go crazy He's talking about the, the elevator bringing you down, and he was actually talking about Satan or the devil, as he talked about in his um, interview that he did with Chris Rock in 1997. That was another uh, like really important interview that he did. I, we got a lot of information out of him about things like this, and of course, you know the one thing that bothers me about you know Prince revealing that that the, the elevator was Satan is of course you know after his death. Uh, you know, he was found dead in an elevator. And a lot of people have said, I think very disrespectfully, I might add that, well, the the elevator did bring him down. But the reality is we all have to die. And we all die alone. Even if you die surrounded by your friends and family, you're still going into the afterworld, as Prince called it alone. You know, so I'm going to eventually do a episode about Prince's death. And I know that it's probably going to be my most controversial episode and I'm going to take a good probably month or so to do research on it uh, because I really want it to be as accurate as possible because there is a lot and I don't I'm not going to get off on a chance that I promise but you know there's a lot of you know you know mysterious circumstances circumstances surrounding Prince's death but I mean the fact that he died alone in the elevator yes that is sad but people have died in much much worse ways so but like I said, let me stop there because I don't want to go on another tangent. Let me stop myself. Uh, I think maybe uh, you know. Okay, let me let me let me just move on. <laughs> okay, so let's go crazy. So Prince said, you know, like I said, a 1997 interview interview with Chris Rock. He said, as I wrote it, "Let's go crazy" was about God and the, the elevation of sin, but the problem was that religion was a subject. As a subject is taboo in pop music, people think that the records they release have to be hip. But I needed, to, but what I needed to do is tell the truth. I had to change those words up. But the elevator was Satan. I had to change the words up because you couldn't say God on the radio. And let's go crazy was God to me. It was stay happy, stay focused, and you can beat the elevator. Are we gonna let the elevator bring us down? Oh no, let's go. So Prince found a way around the censorship of radio in order to bring his pastor-like wisdom on the role that God can play in our lives if we accept him, you know? So now that Let's Go Crazy is more than just a party song, we see that. It's more about God's triumph over the devil. Now, the B side of Let's Go Crazy is another fan favorite, Erotic City. Now, when I first heard Erotic City, I was a little shocked and a little turned off and If i'm being honest and it's not because i'm approved when it comes to hearing explicit songs about sex but because i just was like wow you know okay prince you know and then when i found out that sheila e did not want to say the f word so prince is singing the f word and sheila is saying we can funk until the dawn i mean it's a very literal song about sex that supposedly he wrote after being inspired after going to a parliament funkadelic concert and Erotic City does have a funky beat in the same vein as P-Funk. So this is the first song where we hear Camille, which was basically this character that Prince would create for his more funk-driven songs. So it was Prince with his um, a voice sped up on the track. And so other Camille tracks that would come later are If I Were Your Girlfriend, Housequake, and Rock Hard in a Funky Place. But we're going to talk about Camille at a later date. So moving on, so the third number one Prince single was the song Kiss, off of Princess eighth Studio album Parade. So how Kiss came into existence as a song has an interesting backstory. But before we get into that, let me give you the stats on it. Uh, it was released on February 5th, 1986, and it hit the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 on April 5th, 1986, so exactly two months later. Kiss would be the lead single for uh, Prince's album Parade. So, Kiss initially started off as a rough demo that Prince did of an acoustic guitar and vocals that he gave to engineer David Z, which is which was the brother of Revolution drummer Bobby Z and Revolution bass player Brown Mark for Brown Mark's group Maserati. So the story goes that Prince and Ma- Maserati. We're both uh, recording at the studio uh, Sunset Sound in Los Angeles at the end of April in 1985, April 27th to be exact, April 27th and April 28th. Uh, according to The Prince Vault, uh, theprincevault.com does a really good job of summarizing how Chris Kiss was created. So I'm going to quote what they say and I'm going to add some quotes from the book Prince and the Parade and Son of the Times era studio sessions. Uh, by Dwayne Tudal. So this is what the Princevault.com says. It says, basic tracking took place on the 28th of April, 1985 at Sunset Sound in Hollywood, California. Four days after Holly Rock, the same day as All My Dreams. The song was recorded initially by Prince as an acoustic blues style demo for Maserati, who were working in the studio next to Prince with David Z. Rifkin and Brown Mark. Prince returned the following morning and heard the version that Maserati had recorded which had transformed the song into a funk number. Prince instantly reclaimed the song and worked on it further. He omitted a bass guitar part and the guitar solo and added the signature lick. Sir Casey Terry's vocals were also replaced with his own in a higher octave, but otherwise kept the original recording. When David Z Rifkin, while David Z Rifkin is credited with the track's arrangement therefore he is more accurately an uncredited producer on the track the song was included as the ninth track on the first con- first configuration of the album compiled on the first of may 1985. so once again prince decided that lightning could strike again and took out the baseline of the song just like he did for when doves cry just two years prior so Prince gave this rough demo to David Z and Brown Mark and he tells them, here, go, f- go finish this off. So David Z says, Prince gave us a straight version that did, oh, I'm sorry, with just one verse and, and, a, and a, oh, an acoustic guitar voice and no rhythm. Let me read that again. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm getting tongue-tied. David Z says, Prince gave us a straight version. Was just one verse and an acoustic guitar voice and no rhythm. The song sounded like something Steven Steele might have done. I didn't know what to do with it, and neither did the group. I'm not sure who Steven Steele is. I'm assuming he's like a folk artist or something. Um, so Brown Mark and David Z eventually started to work on the track. Brown Mark said, We went into the studio and came up with a funky beat with a funky bass line the same bass line that Prince would later remove. He would also remove a guitar solo and add his own guitar riff once he took the song back. So David Z and Brown Mark worked on the song all day and all night on Saturday, April 27th, 1986. So the next day on Sunday, April 28th, Prince comes back into Sunset Song early the next morning. And now I'm gonna read about a page and a half of what was written in the book. Uh, Prince in the parade in Sign of the Times era studio sessions about what went down the next morning when Prince came in. So Coke Johnson, who was another engineer who worked there, uh, he says, Coke Johnson remembers what happened when Prince arrived early for today's session and asked to hear Kiss. We played it for Prince who went ballistic, went out to the basketball court, playing it loud on the ghetto blaster. He pretty much said, this is too good for Maserati. It pissed us off as we had been up all night working on it. Hold on, y'all. I'm going to take... I got to get... Give me something to drink. Okay. Prince took the tape back into Studio 3 and began making his own changes. He quickly eliminated Brown Mark's bass. It fills up the bottom so much you really don't miss the bass, especially If only you use it on the first downbeat, according to David Z. So David Z is talking about some engineering, you know, lingo. And he added, James Brown, Papa's got a brand new bag style ESU four guitar chord, So that, so Prince added that as well as his vocals, which he recorded an octave higher than Terry's. And Terry was a member of uh, Maserati, their singer. So David Z asked him what was going on, and Prince confirmed his earlier position on the song. He said to me, this is too good for you guys. I'm taking it back. The final result of the song was not what what he had expected. Tony details how Prince approached them. He said, I like the cut you did last night. I want to use it. Of course you guys will get paid for it. And we said, sure. So this is Tony, the singer from Maserati talking, because we were flattered that Prince would even put something up that, you know, we did on his record. All the vocal, all the vo- vocal work was done. all the music was laid in already explains Brown mark. The only thing that Prince put in was his little makes guitar sound like, he put that in. He put his signature on it which really just changed the song dramatically with his high pitched voice it really added a whole different feel to this thing because Maserati they didn't sing as high like Prince. they say they sang it more in their natural voices and so it was a little different but the background, everything is all the same when we did it. We were playing ping pong at Sunset Sound, and hey, that's the song we did last night. So this is uh, Terry talking again. But Prince's voice was on it. He's quick. It took Prince less than an hour to do the guitar and his vocals on the song. Remember Tony Christian. Now, Tony Christian is another uh, member of Maserati. I was credited on background vocals, and I got a gold record and everything, but I guess I was really naive and new to the business. In this business, you could easily get screwed out of a couple of million. He didn't ask anybody, according to David Z. Of course, to him, it was his song. He promised all kind of stuff to us to make this thing happen. But in a way, he didn't consider anyone's reactions. But on the other hand, what he did, how he did it was fine. Probably better than what Maserati could have done. I actually prefer his version. So this is David Z talking to the engineer. I like the cool, the cool guitar part and all, and he definitely put his thing on it. No question about it. It wasn't like, hey, that was our hit. It wasn't that kind of thing. Maybe Maserati felt that way. I was a producer, so what did I care? Maybe we would have had a big hit with it. Maybe not. It was so drastically different from Prince's version, and his delivery was great. So David Z didn't seem to have an issue with um, Prince taking uh, kids back. But I definitely think that Brown Mark and the members of Maserati kind of felt kind of screwed over and felt some type of way about it. And they probably had, you know, every right to feel that way. Uh, so to me, Chris was, a uh, Chris, Kiss was actually created by the village of Brown Mark, David Z, Maserati, and Prince. So do I think he should have given Brown Mark and David Z more co-writing and co-producing credits? Yes, I think so. But Prince was Prince and... What he wanted, he got, for better or worse. So, could our guy be an asshole at times? Absolutely. Was this one of those times? Probably. (laughs) The B-side was Love or Money, which would play in the movie Under the Cherry Moon. So, moving on to Prince's fourth number one single was Bat Dance from the album Batman for the soundtrack for the 1989 Tim Burton movie Batman. Batman. Bat Dance was the ninth and final track added to the Batman album. It was released on June 9th, 1989 and hit the top spot on the Billboard charts on August 5th, 1989. Now, Batman, as you know, Batman, Bat Dance, uh, as I talked about in the very first episode of the podcast, is a very uh, reminiscent song for me because that was my introduction to Prince. Uh, but uh, Bat Dance was actually a last minute replacement. For the album, it replaced the song Dance With The Devil, which Prince thought was a little too dark. And I have, uh, did, uh, listen to Dance With The Devil and it is kind of a dark song. He actually makes up another character called Spooky Electric uh, to do that song. So, I, you know, I don't know if it's just because Prince is a Gemini, but, you know, he comes up with all these different characters like Gemini, Spooky Electric, Camille, uh, so... You know, that's just kind of, you know, I guess a unique thing about Prince is he likes to play all these different characters. Okay, but I'm going to read something, of course, from The Prince Vault. Uh, The song contains samples from The Future, Electric Chair, which is a great song too. Actually, I like just about every song on the Batman album, really. 200 Balloons and We Got the Power. The latter was briefly considered for the album but left unreleased. Prince would later make regular use of mentioning or sampling tracks. From an album within one of the album's final tracks. Of note, remixes of Bat-Dance also contain samples from Raven to the Joy Fantastic which he was actually working on before he started the Batman uh, project. He was working on Raven to the Joy Fantastic," Fantastic. We know that wouldn't come out until 1999 but before uh, he found out about uh, Batman he was actually working on that. Um, and then uh, Batman planned for the Batman album and replaced by Party Man The song was only released in 1999, so what I just said. The vocals on the album are credited to a character from the movie, as if Prince is singing on their behalf. The lines on... Because, you know, when you hear Bad Dance, you hear, like, Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton and uh, Kim Basinger, you know. Um, But, of course, you know, Prince came up with this half-Batman, half-Joker character named Gemini. And the lines are attributed to him, as well as a guy named Matthew Larson. And he was like a, a, a guy who was just on the set. He was like a crew member. And I think he was like a, also, I think he was a guitar tech, maybe. But um, he discussed the recording of his parts in an article published in uh, 2022. So he said... You're going to, he just said that this is what Prince told him. He said, You're going to do something. I want you to scream as loud as you can. He threw me a little yellow pad of paper, and it wasn't until we got into the queue that I got to see what it was. And that was for Bad Dance. Get the fuck up, was the original. And then the other one was, Oh, damn it. Don't stop the music. Oh, you son of a bitch. You know, that, you know, that. Uh, part in uh, Bad Dance at the very end before he blows himself up in the in the video. Uh, so apparently Matthew um, Larson both did those but then because they had to change get the fuck up to get the funk up because you know it wasn't you know it, <laughs> it wasn't appropriate because you know Batman was you know a, supposed to be like a family you know family film so he had to go back and change it to get the uh, get the funk up. And then there are two lines attributed to Prince, hey ducky, let me stick the seven inch in the computer. And I don't really even know what that means, but knowing Prince, it sounds kind of like a sexual innuendo maybe, (laughs) and then stop. So those two lines are attributed to Prince himself at the very end of the song. But the latter is actually a sample from the film in which Batman says this to bring the Batmobile to a halt. So, actually, it wasn't Prince's voice. It was actually Michael Keaton's voice that said stop. But, you know, it was just Prince uh, uh, mimicking it. So, for those of you that haven't listened, you know, for my first episode, like once again, I already talked about that. I'm going, I'm looking at my script, y'all. <laughs> but uh, it is very sentimental. It was the very first uh, song that I ever heard from Prince. And at the time, like I said, I, I didn't know who Prince was, but I that song was just jamming. And like I said, we were literally out on the playground. Ooh yeah, ooh yeah. I wanna bust that body. Ooh yeah, ooh yeah, I wanna bust that body, right? I'm just like you know, five years old. We had no idea what we were singing, and had my mother, you know, or some adult really been paying attention to what we were singing. We probably would have been in trouble but anyway moving on um so the b-side was 200 balloons 200 balloons i like that song too that was the b-side to bat dance so last but not least the final single number one single by prince was the song cream from the diamonds and pearls album prince's 13th studio album it was released on september 9th 1991 and it hit the number one spot just about three weeks later on the Billboard charts on September 28th, 1991. So Cream was the second single from Diamonds and Pearls after Get Off. So Prince would claim on the Musicology Tour in 2004 that he wrote Cream while looking in the mirror. And when I first heard Cream on the radio, that was the first song that I knew who Prince was, that he was actually singing it. Because once again, in my first, uh, first episode I uh, say that, you know, I first heard Cream on the radio, and my dad was the one who told me, yeah, that's Prince. And I was like, oh, okay, I like the song. And I also love the song Diamonds and Pearls as well, uh, the title track from that album. So it also has, you know, sentimental value to me as well. The B-side was Horny Pony. So um, that also had a dance to go with it, I think. And once again, I was really too young to remember all that, so... For those of you uh, that were old enough to remember, uh, I might uh, post something about that on the Facebook page, and please comment. Don't be scared. Um, I've had the face Facebook page for a little while, and not too many people comment, so um, but that's okay. I understand if you if you want to be shy, but don't be shy because I'm really interested in um, the the dance. I'm gonna have to look that up because the porn, uh, apparently. Uh he got inspired uh to do the horny pony dance. I don't know if this is true or not, but you remember the Humpty Dump Dance uh Shock G. Rest in peace. Um, he supposedly got inspired uh to do that from uh the um do the humpty Hump. Hey, do the humpty Hump. So he kind of did like a horny pony dance and kind of, you know, uh in not really a response to that, but kind of similar to um the humpty dance. So, okay, so Let's see what else. Okay, so now let's move on since we talked about the five number one hit songs. So once again, uh, the first one was When Dubs Cry, Let's Go Crazy, Kiss, Bat Dance, and number five was Cream. So now Purple Family, let's talk about Prince's second self-titled album, Prince. So let me give you the stats. Prince was released on October 19th, 1979 And the album sessions took place from late April to the 13th of June, 1979 at Alpha Studios in Burbank, California. Some overdubs and mixing initially took place at a Hollywood Sound Recorders, Los Angeles in late May and early June. However, allegedly when the cost of it started to be an issue, because like like I said, once again, he didn't have a lot of money because he had already spent most of it on for you. So when cost started to become an issue, his manager Perry Jones got a 16-track Soundcraft Series 200B board and had it shipped to Prince's home on North Am Drive in Orono, Minnesota, where the album was mixed further. I Wanna Be Your Lover and I Feel For You were initially written for Patrice Russian. Who was recording her fifth album pizazz at the same time and released only four days after prince's album as with his first album prince played all the instruments on all tracks bobby z and andre simone were, were listed in the credits as heaven sit helpers leading to some question of their involvement and prince has confirmed that andre simone did add some vocal harmony to why you want to treat me so bad so the, for the promotion, the album produced five singles: "I Wanna Be Your Lover," which preceded the album; "Why You Want to Why You Wanna Treat Me So Bad," <laughs> uh, "Still Waiting," and "Sexy Dancer" and "Bambi." So Prince, um, he would actually tour for this album, and he started a tour in November and December 1979, going into February of 1980. Uh, usually playing every song on the album. And the album reached number 22 on the U.S. Billboard top LPs and tapes and number three on the Billboard soul chart. So it did pretty good. It did better. It did uh, much better than For You did. So to conclude tonight's episode, I'm going to give my personal review of the album. So when I first heard the album, I was only familiar with the song I Want to Be Your Lover, which I really liked. But I have since heard this album several times and I have been listening to it in my car all week in preparation for this episode. So my favorite tracks are I Want to Be Your Lover, Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad, and Bambi. So I really like the rock and roll tracks on this album. I particularly like the guitar solo at the end of Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad. I mean, that's great. And of course, Bambi throughout. I mean, he was just really playing the hell out of that guitar in both of those tracks now normally i'm not really into rock music like that but for prince when he puts his flair on it and he plays his rock music i don't know why but i just seem to like it better because i also like his uh rock song um that's on the gold album uh endorphin machine i like i i love it i mean and i'm and I also like a lot of the rock songs that are on Chaos and Disorder as well. So, like I said, I'm not into rock music, but with Prince, I really like his his rock stuff. Um, and I don't know what it is. Uh, he can do wonders with that guitar. I mean, he can really make it sing, like it's an actual person doing the vocals. Like Prince is really good about conveying the mood of the song with his guitar solos. One of my favorite guitar solos is actually Purple Rain because to me, that solo was perfect for that song. I mean, I mean just, I mean, flawless, like, I mean, it just really just goes so perfectly with the mood of the song, but okay. Let me stop digressing. Okay. So the other songs, like I feel for you, which we know Shaka Khan would cover in 1984. And that's probably my favorite Prince cover because it is so good. And uh, When We're Dancing Close to Slow, Sexy Dancer Still Waiting with You and It's Gonna Get Lonely. I think they all work together very well. They bring a cohesiveness to the album that is not like anything else. You know, a lot of his other albums don't have that uh, cohesiveness, but Prince does. Uh, so he had a great mixture of rock, r and slow jams, and up-tempo funk. So With this album, I think that Prince was on a mission, like I said in the beginning of the episode, to kind of redeem himself and prove to himself and to Warner Brothers that he was, in fact, a hit maker, that he wasn't going to be some one album or one hit wonder. He was in this for the long haul because he wanted to be a career musician. So he knew that he was going to have to work very, very hard, harder than he's probably ever worked. And he did that. So the sky was the limit at this point in Prince's career. He was well on his way to writing and producing more and more hit songs, and would continue to grow as a band leader as well. Prince's band was able to go on a brief tour, like I said, for the Prince's album, uh, before joining up with Rick James's tour at the open as the opening act for the Fire Up the Fired it Up tour in the spring of 1980. But I'm going to talk more about that on the next episode. That's going to be interesting because. Uh, Rick Jones did a memoir before he passed away in 2004, and he talked a lot about this particular tour. <laughs> so um, stay tuned for that. But speaking of which, I'll be taking, uh, after this episode, I'm going to be taking a two week hiatus in order to give myself a little break, a little respite, and also to allow people to catch up that might have not have a chance to listen to all the episodes that have been out. So when I come back in two weeks, I'll be starting episode six, in which we'll, we'll be reviewing Prince's third album, Dirty Mind, and talking about Prince's, uh, Prince's Dirty Mind and his view on sex and sexuality during this time period. Okay, so with that being said, I hope everyone has a wonderful, peaceful weekend. Peace and be wild, and may you live to see the dawn. Bye.